Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, petro.com. It's Thursday. It's February 9th. There's a developing story. Massachusetts, Andover. This is a rough one. This is uh, odd. It is very difficult. Uh, but they have a very ongoing situation that's happening right now in Andover. A mother, father, 12-year-old boy among dead. Found with gunshot wounds inside the house. Porter Road, Andover. 911 call came from inside the house. No threat to the public, and classes are canceled at the school. So that is without question. That is a uh, major developing story. Now, the police, I believe, had to breach two doors to get inside, but the 911 call, police, I believe, will be um, updating people as the day goes along. But father, 12-year-old son, mother, uh, dead from gunshot wounds. That's where St. John's in Danvover was the boy attended. And I can already see members of the media, the DA is also with the help of the media saying, if you're suffering from mental health issues, please seek help. So it, I I mean, we'll get more details as the, the day goes along. We're also, Wall Street Journal is reporting that that Chinese spy airship was outfitted with antennas likely capable of collecting communications. So there's uh, speculation as to exactly what that spy balloon was doing, but it certainly sounds as if it was on a reconnaissance, a reconnaissance mission to uh, attempt to figure out communication over some of those very strategic uh, sites that we have that it was that it was going over. So. So this is going to be a lot more, and the Biden administration is saying that China's military, likely behind the bold aerial spy program, has targeted more than 40 countries on five continents with the high-altitude surveillance balloon. So I think, if anything, this again goes into the fact that they should have shot it down earlier, and... Uh, obviously, our, our defenses need to be altered that immediately they, they, we should have been able to, unless, I, you know, I don't know what, folks, it's so tough with the military because we don't know what they knew, what they didn't know, what was their plan of action. Um, 
you know, there was a lot of speculation that the, the Chinese was actually doing this to, to gauge our reaction to it. And so sometimes the best reaction is no reaction. But now another high-profile case, Brian Walsh, Cohasset man, accused of killing his wife, disposing of her body, had a brief hearing today. Now, no real information came out. He uh, was at the hearing via Zoom, but it was the first time. It looks like he has a mustache going. He's either a mustache or he has a mask on. But he, um, he was in the, the DOC, the orange jumpsuit. First time we've, we've seen him in that. So that is another, folks, between, now we're going to learn more Andover police, but, boy, this this sounds like we're not even into March yet. This is another high-profile incident here, and it's a beautiful home in Andover where this uh, mother, father, son, now, without knowing all the details, it certainly sounds as though something happened inside that home. Something happened inside that home. Police are are saying that it's not um, a, a danger to the community. So some kind of, hard to believe, but tragic murder-suicide <clears throat> um, between a mother, father, and a, and a 12-year-old son. All right, I know I'm skipping around a little bit. The next court date for Brian Walsh will be March 1st. But big story you're going to see that is leading the news is this situation regarding uh, with Andover 12 year old boy and his parents dead and the police are trying to figure out what happened but um, it the, the police did have a hard time trying to get into that home and so but we'll, we'll get more details the DA says they were all shot no danger to the public but sixth grader is the son uh, prep employees, they're devastated praying for all involved. And the middle school's been remote this week because of a pipe burst. They had to breach two doors to get in. <clears throat> wow. I think I may have sound on this. Let me just um, quickly check, folks. Wow, another... If, if there's anyone that doesn't believe that Mental health is a huge problem in our society. I believe we do. All right. I think I have, uh, yeah, I have I have sound on the Andover situation. Here we go. Let me hear this. Here with Chief Keith from the Andover Police Department. Also here with members of the State Police Detective Unit attached to my office at Essex County and members of the Andover Police Department and the Andover Detective Division as well. We're here at this address uh, where Andover Police was summoned this morning. We can get into some of the details. Uh, I'm first going to ask Chief Keefe to uh, offer a timeline of events that have brought us to this point, and then I'll add a little bit afterwards. Chief? Thanks, sir. Uh, good morning. Uh, just after 3.21 a.m., Andover Police uh, received a 911 call. Um, officers arrived on scene roughly five minutes after the call. Um, they had to, uh, breach two doors to get into the house. When they went inside the house, they found a, the, uh, father, mother, and a 12-year-old son, uh, dead, um, wounds were from a gunshot. Uh. The, uh, the father was 56 years old. The mother was 55. Again, obviously, it was thrown an investigation. Um, 
Obviously, we know the how. We're trying to figure out the why right now. So we're going to need some time to figure that out as we move forward. Thank you, Chief. As you can imagine, uh, this being only in the first of several hours into this scene, we have a bit of work to do. We're still in the preliminary stages. But one of the messages that we would like to make sure that people know is there's He was going to say there's... This entire situation was contained within the address here. I think this is also a very good time to remind folks that if they're suffering from any type of mental health issues, any type of depression, that services are out there, whether through service providers, our office certainly is a community resource for anybody that's having any difficulties is all. I also want to make sure that we recognize the first responders here, the difficulties of working these scenes. We only need to look back at the last couple of weeks in Massachusetts, some of the difficult things that our first responders, our state police detectives, our local detectives, local police officers, firefighters, and EMS, these can take an emotional toll as well. We're always concerned about their well-being. These men and women do an extraordinary job under some very difficult circumstances. We also want to make sure that, that folks know that there are resources out there. As Chief Keefe said, uh, we will update you as, as we get more information as appropriate. We're in the stages right now of making notifications to next of kin. I appreciate everybody's presence here this morning, helping us to get the word out there. There is no danger at all to anybody in the, in the public. Thank you. Folks, again, I'd like that, um, whew, that he mentioned that it's been a difficult start to this new year in Massachusetts with, I mean, look at the Wall, started with the Wall story, then it went into the uh, Duxbury story with the mom, and that is still so horrific and has everyone reeling. And now we're learning of this, uh, certainly sounds like some kind of a murder-suicide in Andover. It is, it is so, folks, I mean, look at what we have. These are all <clears throat> three examples. Brian Walsh charged with allegedly killing his 39-year-old wife, Anna, with the three boys, their three sons, in the home. Then we move into Duxbury. Lindsay Clancy, she's charged. Three murders, three children found, strangled in the basement. Five years old, three years old, seven months old. Now we go back north, Andover. A mother, father, Sixth grade, 12-year-old son, gunshot wounds, dead in the home. There is some dynamic that is absolutely taking place right now. My God. And it's also of note, you know, Walsh seemingly was all three different. A knife, the mother in Lindsay Clancy in Duxbury, apparently used exercise stretch bands and that was through strangulation and now we have a firearm so with with um three different means all within the confines of the home all within the confines of the home that these murders are taking place all frightening all uh gruesome to hear about and it is difficult for first responders. Now, just as a reminder, first responders, tomorrow night, Friday night, Cranston PD Live, I will be once again out with Cranston Police. That's 7 to 9 tomorrow night. And you can watch it live on Facebook, and then it'll be posted later on the website, petro.com and then also posted on YouTube. 
So there's a tremendous, it is um, Thursday, a tremendous amount of information. There's also um, my very good friend of many, many years, uh, Vinnie Paz, champion, the original Vinnie Paz, he ends up of Cranston, but he is, uh, congratulations to him. It is now confirmed he is a father. Little Ella Louise, <clears throat> there's a full story about it and a photo of his uh, beautiful young daughter and also his um the mother of the daughter i i think there was an engagement of some kind i'm not exactly sure of their status but uh the champ has become a father new england's most eligible bachelor i i haven't heard that they're married actually but he is uh, definitely a father and i uh, sp- i'd spoken with the champ and you can um see some of the comments from some of his he was speaking to a friend and saying he wasn't so sure about the diapers but but uh but that is is also big news now again um I also want to mention last night I did attend and I want to credit the Smiley campaign. That wasn't easy, but they did a forum for the three finalists for their police chief position. And uh, I'd never been to anything like that. They'd never had anything like that. That was uh, certainly uh, interesting. And so by all accounts, I think everyone there left there last night. Now, we don't know how this is is going to break out, but... I think everyone kind of left there last night saying, hey, this was a good thing. It was very good turnout. It's good auditorium was full. They also were doing a Facebook Live. I did not go live with it just because you don't know what the audio is going to be like. It's a little tedious at times. I think that the um, I think the moderators, it could have been better questioned. One moderator mispronouncing names and so forth. And questions were a little long for my liking. But all in all, all in all, um, in in the announcement on the new chief could come at any time now. They had the forum. It's now up to the mayor. I think we have an indication who it's going to be. I think all three individuals, Major Lanny, Major LePayton, and also Acting Chief Oscar Perez, I think all three of them helped them last night. And all three of them um, did very, very well up on that stage. All right. We're going to talk with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, which is dipietro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. He is our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, let's start off. There was a uh, very dramatic hearing uh, arraignment. This was the Duxbury mother. Lindsay Clancy. First time now. She wasn't in court. She was on Zoom. Uh, but boy, the prosecutors, Tim Dodd, for all the talk about possible insanity plea, and that may happen, uh, not guilty by reason of postpartum psychosis. But by all accounts, that the, the, the uh, prosecutors, they, they seemingly, Tim Dodd, came out with a very aggressive stance that this was a calculated, brutal murder of her three children. 
Yes, they did come out with some very um, provocative information at her arraignment. Um, several things of importance is she apparently had sent her husband out to pick up a takeaway order from a restaurant they had never gone to before, and um, her computer records showed that she had looked for a place and then she had gone ahead and calculated how long it would take husband to drive to and from this location. So she was banking on how long he would be gone, arguably, so she would know how long she had to um, undertake her efforts to uh, strangle her three children. The um, now, if that's all borne out, that would show premeditation. And, you know, you can still be um, an insane person by a legal definition and plot and plan and scheme, but it's all a result of a, of a mind that does not have the ability to um, conform your action to, uh, to based on what you know to be, or you can't distinguish to be what's right versus what's wrong. Now, the other compelling piece of information the prosecutors put out there is that she strangled the kids allegedly in the basement of the home using um, bands or straps that we, you would use when working out. So if you systematically strangle three kids, they um, theorize that it takes a few minutes to strangle an individual, a child in this case. So if it's a sudden act of um, passion, you hit somebody, you strike them, you stab them, that's like a sudden event. But when you strangle somebody and it takes maybe two or three minutes, four minutes to accomplish the strangulation, you're doing it. You're watching the person die. You know, you're exerting the pressure. It's a calculated um, voluntary thing that you're doing. It's not something that happens in a split second. And she did it over and over and over again. Um, so she would have had time to sit there and observe what she was doing the first time, then the second time, and then the third time, all of which would show um, a premeditated course of action that she knew what she was doing and she did it in a calculated way. That all leads to a um, potential conclusion that this was a first degree murder times three. Now they oh. haven't they haven't charged the third. Um, the first two children died in the house. The third yes. died a few days later uh, from the injuries. I'm sure that the charges will be amended to add the third murder charge. And right now, based upon the prosecution's theory of the case, they would be looking for convictions um, on these charges, and there are more, but the main ones are murder. Um, murder in the first degree, which presumes premeditation, which they kind of laid out 
a set of facts which would indicate that this was a premeditated, calculated, purposeful thing that she did to the three kids. Now, Tim Dodd, you and I cover a lot of different arraignments. Do you, I'm curious to hear what surprised you about this and just the aggressive nature in which the prosecutors, they, you know, they said, the first thing they said was when they got out a whiteboard for her, the first thing, one of the first things she asked was, do I need a lawyer? Uh, they also went out of their way to say this wasn't a situation that she found herself in and then did this. They uh, I basically said like she orchestrated this to get her husband out of the house. So as hideous as this is, and of all the cases you and I have discussed, this is definitely near the top of the list. But I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on, boy, you, you take out Tim Dodd that it's the mother and so forth. It, if if you if you remove that part of it, if this were just, you know, three gang members or something like that, or just, you know, something outside of a mother and the children, you you would think that they are putting together a rock solid case of that that checks all the boxes as far as you know that this was absolutely calculated and brutally carried out. It appears that it was definitely calculated. Again, she made sure she sent the husband off and she had already determined how long it would take for a round trip for the guy to go to the location, pick up the items, return to the home. So she had calculated or planned in advance she was gonna send this guy away so that she'd have sufficient time in the house alone with the kids to um, do the um, three acts of um, killing the three kids by strangulation. Now, I guess you get a good psychiatrist who could say, yes, this was all calculated, but at the time she was doing it, again, under the legal theory, the legal definition, I should say, of um, in, an insanity or diminished capacity um, defense, as I understand it to be in Massachusetts, is that you don't have the ability to distinguish from right and wrong, nor to conform your behavior to what you should know to be right and wrong. But in your state of mind, you can't distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. Now, as good as the uh, prosecutors were, John, in setting forth in a very aggressive way what they believe they can prove at this early stage, her lawyer was equally um, trying to put out his message early, speaking to the media, speaking to the world, speaking to potential jurors that you know this woman is suicidal um she's basically living in a dream state she feels like she's floating on air she doesn't seem to have a comprehension of what's happening around her she's hospitalized because i i guess when she jumped out the second floor window uh in an effort to kill herself um, she didn't succeed in killing herself but apparently she has left herself um, uh, paralyzed from the waist down. So the, the court did not set bail, but allowed her to remain hospitalized for the current time. Um, a question will come up when she's stable enough to leave the hospital. 
does she go to home confinement at her home? Does she go to home confinement with her parents? Does she go to jail and be held in, you know, the hospital wing of a prison? As yet to be determined, but her lawyer is um, hitting the message hard that she has no idea what's going on, that she's suicidal, that she's, I think he used the impression like she's, she feels like she's floating and doesn't really have a good comprehension of what's going on. Now, whether that's true or not, whether that will stand up, this will be a situation where there'll be a, at least one psychiatrist for the state. And if, if she asserts an insanity defense, she'll have her own um, psychiatrist opining, I'm sure, that you know she can't dis distinguish between right and wrong. And whether this case even goes to trial will be for the judge after listening to the, um, the psychiatrist at a pre-trial hearing, whether she is you know, capable of standing trial, whether she has the mental capacity and understanding to, you know, um, assist in her defense and to participate in her defense. It's a long way down the road, but you know this is going to be a battle of experts at some point in time. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. For over 125 years, Ameriprise Financial has provided advice for clients' unique goals help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Offices located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence. Put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for, for you through a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. We're speaking with our legal analysts. It's one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. It is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I want to stay with the Lindsay Clancy arraignment. Now, the prosecutors also revealed that on Sunday, uh, the, her attorney had, Reddington, had a doctor in there examining her. And they say that she used the doctor's cell phone and left the husband a voicemail saying that she loved him. On Monday, the doctor was going to see her, was in with her. She again borrowed the doctor's cell phone. And the husband claims this was the first time that she mentioned the word psychosis and then told him, it was the first time he claims he ever heard it, that she said there was a male voice telling her to do that, what she did to the children, because she was running out of time. What, what does it tell us that she's making these calls to the husband and why did the prosecutors want that out there well it, it's subject to interpretation but is she getting tuned up by her lawyer and or the doctor 
as to what psychosis is and, you know, what might be a pattern of behavior that's consistent with a person in in the midst of um, psychotic event. So if she gets that word out by calling the husband and says, uses the word psychosis and now says, um, a male voice was telling me to do what I what I uh, what I did um, is that the truth or is she starting the spin of a narrative of her own who knows it, it is interesting that the husband has basically told you know in in statements to the media not to prejudge the wife that she is a sick woman and that she's not guilty of any criminal offense as you know horrific as this is, he's basically so far siding with her. And now that could change if he learns more information, but he's in her corner. He's defending her. He's suggesting that she should not be prosecuted for a crime, that this was not a crime, but the result of a, of a, of a sick and troubled mind. So is she parroting words? and I'm not saying this is the case, that the doctor or the lawyer is suggesting to her, or is she coming to terms with what she did as she speaks to a doctor? We don't know all that yet, but this is all material that the prosecutors are certainly wanting, will want to get their hands on to the extent they're able to do so. Whatever the lawyer, her lawyer is telling her is not information that the... Um, prosecutors can find out because there's an attorney client privilege. There's also a doctor patient privilege, which, you know, I'm not sure how far that could be pushed by the prosecutors to get the background on what she might be discussing with her doctor. But the one thing is she's got a very good defense lawyer. Attorney Reddington is well regarded. Right. um, Has tried a lot of murder cases uh, knows his way around the courtroom. Sure. And, um, you know, this is all part of the early setting the table yep. for what's going to come down the line. Hey, Tim Dodd, but a lot of times, I, what is the law as far as does a spouse have to testify against another spouse? Because, I mean, one thing it tells us is somehow the prosecutors found out that she called him with the, her attorney had made a big deal that her parents went to go see her and they were not allowed in. Now, the doctor the attorney sends in is using her cell phone to call the husband. Is she being told to call the husband? And, but what does it tell us that, is it possible the prosecutors said, you know, tell us if she contacts you, isn't it possible he could have said that's a private conversation between me and my wife, but obviously, it sounds like he he gave it up to them that she did contact him. She did leave the voicemail. She did call and and then basically told them of what the conversation was. Well, a couple of things. Um, yeah. You're you're right that there is a um, immunity between spouses from being compelled to testify against one another in a criminal situation. So he might be shielded from that uh, perspective. Now, how did the prosecutors find all this out? Are they tapping her phone? Are they tapping the husband's phone? We don't really know. Okay. Um, 
And we don't know at this juncture, although the prosecutors are putting this out there, which is being absorbed by members of the public and people out there who might be potentially in the jury pool. Yep. We don't know if this evidence would ever get in before the jury or if it's suppressible, if it's been improperly obtained. I mean, we just don't know enough. But, you know, if this get out there um, in a way that the prosecutor should not have learned about it, and I'm not saying that's the case or not the case, um, things that will be damaging to this defendant, you know, her lawyer will be trying every which way possible to suppress its admissibility at the time of trial. Tim Dodd, uh, finally on this Glancy arraignment, um, you know, I, I've had a number of people and, and obviously people were talking about it and felt, wow, like the prosecutor's being very aggressive and, you know, clearly she wasn't in her right mind and she doesn't fit the profile. And, you know, clearly this should be a not guilty because she had this. But at the same token, I, I've heard other people say, you know, they, they have to be careful of setting a dangerous precedent that, you know, you can't just, if, if there's a homicide, the person says, oh, I, I heard some voices tell me to do it because I had anxiety. And then it's, you know, they walk away, no harm, now no foul. So can you just touch on the, you know, it may come to seemingly that the state agrees with her attorney that she was not in a right frame of mind but it seems like tim dodd in the meantime they have to proceed that you know they're going to prove that this was three homicides committed and what evidence is going to support that well yes um, as we talked about i believe last week the prosecutors are going to have you know the pedal to the metal moving this case aggressively towards a prosecution for um it, it appears to be three at least three counts of um, first-degree murder amongst other counts. Now, if the state's doctors, psychiatrists, were to agree with the defense psychiatrists that, you know, she did not have the capacity to know right from wrong, that she was in the midst of a psychotic event and she cannot be held um, guilty by reason of insanity or otherwise diminished capacity, if the doctors for the state and the, and the defense agree that she cannot be prosecuted, well, that would tell the tale. But unless and until that happens, the um, prosecutors, the state, will push this as aggressively as they can. As we've talked about before, it's a rare occasion when the doctors for the state and the defense agree one time that it did recently happen was the guy in Warwick who yes. killed the jogger with the mallet and shoved him into a trash can. In that case, the state was ready to go forward. They were going to prosecute this guy. But um, the state's own doctor said, no, no, no. This, right. this guy does not have the mental capacity. Um, you know, he's either got diminished capacity or he is... Right. Insane. Just, so just it more, does one, happen. One more question on the uh, the Glancy arraignment. Now, Tim Dodd, we've heard that she was seeking treatment at women and infants in, in Providence, that she was checked into McLean. How does the how does the, the court balance the, you know, confidentiality of doctor patient 
where if she's sitting in a room saying to a psychiatrist, yes, I've been having these thoughts of harming myself and harming my children, that she's presumably doing that thinking that, you know, doctor-patient confidentiality comes into play, that's never going to see the public light. How does the court, it, it seems like there'd be a lot of that involved in a case like that because she was seeking treatment. Well, she's putting, uh, I'm presuming and predicting that she and her uh, attorney will put her mental capacity in play. So they can't say, I'm paraphrasing, she can't say I'm insane, but you can't look at my medical records. Okay. So if she's going to assert a diminished capacity defense, yep. her medical records are now in play. It's, it's a fair consideration because she's going to be saying, I've been treating for this, you know, mental condition that I was experiencing, this postpartum depression, this anxiety and all the things that go along with it. Now, if she's going to assert that, well, I think that both sides then have the right to ask to scour her medical records to see what they show, what medications she was on. I mean, la uh, the... Um, Attorney Reddington had gone through a, um, a list of meds that she was on yep. that was quite astonishing. And I'm sure part of what's going to happen is medical experts are going to say, well, when a person is on this combination of medications, here's what it can do to their mental processes. And, you know, at the end of the day, it may well be that she is not insane but she was temporarily of a diminished mind because of the effect the combination of drugs that she was on had upon her. It could be that she couldn't tell right from wrong when she was on these 10 or 12 different meds. If a doctor says that can really screw up your, your thought process. Um, but if you got off all of those medications, then you may not any longer have a diminished capacity. That would get into a really interesting thing to say she was fine, then she became scrambled on these meds, and then at once off the meds, she becomes fine again. That becomes a real quandary for the prosecution. Folks, quick break, much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. remain healthy, stop in and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can also look for her on Facebook, but call her 401-305-3585. You know the building. It's that historic white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. It's My Health. What do you find inside? Well, first of all, great service, great selection, vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products, like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum, over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices, plus hemp and CBD products, natural skincare. It's my health. Pop in and see Marie, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. There's things for your pets. There's things for your children. There's things for your health. Stay healthy at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Again, call Marie, 401 305 3585 diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant.
We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, we had talked about the shooting in Providence where a landlord, this woman was attempting to apparently evict a tenant and showed up at the door, third floor, uh, Prudence Avenue in Providence. And then it turns out that the tenant was behind the door. He had a ghost gun, but he had an AR-15. And as soon as they knocked down the door and they had weapons, he fired. He was in court. Um, where, where does that, what does that case stand and what, what did, what's new that we learned? Well, he was, um, the court um, set a pretty significant surety bail for this guy. They set, um, the court set bail at, I believe, 75000 which means that if he went to this defendant went to like let's say a bail bondsman, he'd have to post or get a bail bondsman to put up seventy five hundred bucks. Now that's relatively high, but um, in this case, despite the fact the man has a self defense argument to be made. Um, He's potentially a flight risk. He doesn't really have a permanent address in Rhode Island. He doesn't have lots of contacts in Rhode Island. So it, and unless there was some significant bail set for this guy, he would certainly be a flight risk. Couple that with whether or not he's a danger to the community. He was in possession of a ghost gun. He was in possession of this gun and he was precluded from having any weapon based upon his previous criminal convictions. So he sort of rings both of the bells necessary to be held with a, a significant surety bail. Um, beyond that, it, it's going to become a very interesting case in terms of um, whether this is a good self-defense um, argument or not. There's so much we don't know. We don't know the people that were with the landlord. Are they cooperating? Have they spoken? Are they keeping quiet? What did they do? What did they say um, during this confrontation on two sides of the apartment door? Um, as we've discussed, what this landlord did was not, based on what I've heard, not following what a landlord is supposed to do when you right. want to evict somebody. You don't show up with muscle, armed or unarmed, bang right. on the door, yeah. say, get out. And we got weapons. when you don't get cooperation, yeah. we have weapons, kick the door down. Right. So this man has not been served with appropriate legal process based upon what we know. Um He's being threatened, saying, you know, we've got people out here and we've got weapons. He doesn't know who's out there, no. what weapons they might have. Um, the aggressive nature of the altercation is confirmed when they kick the door down. Oh. Now, what's he, I mean, I guess he could say, let, let me wait and see how big their weapons are before I decide <laughs> to shoot. Right. But the other important thing is I think he was up on the third floor. He yes. had no means of retreating. He couldn't, no. like, if he was on the first floor, jump out the back window, run out right. the back door. He right. was trapped. There was nothing yeah. he could do here. So, mm. I mean, he does have, at first blush, a reasonable defense to assert. 
Folks, so we're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, um, it was many years ago now, 2000, I believe, that terrible execution style of the young young people, uh, Amy Shute, Jason Burgesson. It was at the Buttonhole Golf Course. It turned out it was these pack of ragtag thugs, criminals that, that uh, were downtown, and they banded together, and they were going to rob them. I think they robbed them of $6. They took their SUV, and then they executed the buttonhole golf course i still remember that morning being on the air we got the word well now one of them kenneth day uh well it's all more than 20 years later he is now in court and trying to make an argument that he never knew that he could apologize um it, it's all these years later the trigger man gregory floyd has actually passed away i believe the defense attorney that represented day he has also passed away. What, what do you make of um, this argument that even the Judge Derrigan that, that heard it, he came, he's retired, he came back onto the bench just to hear this case? Yes, this, I mean, your listeners will recall, this was one of the most revolting, stomach-churning, horrible things ever. Um, these two young people were taken out into this construction site, which is now a golf course, and executed. They were both shot in the head. They begged for their life for like 20 minutes, and then they were literally executed. Um, Day was one of the participants. There's lots of um, revolting side notes to what this guy Day did and said and how he behaved before the execution of these two young people. Um, Now he is... uh, he's in jail for life without the possibility of parole. Now, he says that his attorney, Joe DiCaparel, never told him that if he took a plea, he could get a deal which would have been life with the possibility of parole. He says he was never informed. One of the witnesses at this hearing was one of the prosecutors at the time Laura Pizzatoro, her notes reflect that the uh, defendant Day rejected the offer of life with the possibility of parole because to get life with the possibility of parole um, would have required cooperation of the defendant with the prosecutors. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. One of the defendants did cooperate with the prosecutors and on his plea he did get life with the possibility of parole i think he's up for parole in 2032 this guy day has always been adamant about not cooperating now joe DeCaparel was a very good defense lawyer he was with the public defender's office for a long time i think he was in private practice towards the end of his career We don't know what he said. We don't know what he did, but I I didn't know him well, but I knew him and he was a quality criminal defense lawyer. I can't imagine that he never told this guy what his options were, but it's, it's cases like this, John, to, if I could this move to a little sidelight for a moment, this type of conduct by defendants where they say, my lawyer never told me the options that I had has resulted in something that we now have in criminal cases. You have what's called a Fry hearing because Fry is the case that 
developed all of this. Now, a criminal defendant, his, his or her lawyer negotiates and negotiates and negotiates until there's nothing further to negotiate. And between the defense lawyer, the prosecutor, and the judge, the best offer that's going to be made to this defendant is X. And if you don't want X, then you're going to trial. There ain't no more to, to be ground down on this thing. This is the best deal you're going to be offered. Yep. Now, at a Fry hearing, the defendant is brought before the court. And it's a rather lengthy hearing where the judge will say, sir, sir or ma'am, you understand you've been charged with these offenses. Count one is X. And the possible you know, penalty, if you are convicted, is this. Count two is this. And if you're convicted, the penalty is potentially this. And right through all the counts. And further, Mr. or Ms. Defendant, it's been explained to you by your attorney that the right. offer that you are rejecting is on count one, bing, on count two, we'll dismiss that one. Count three, that'll get dismissed. But on count one, this is what you would get, and you're rejecting it. Sir, is this your understanding? Yes, Judge. And knowing all the consequences of rejecting the last best offer the state is making, you've discussed this with your attorney. Yep. All your questions have been answered. Yep. And you understand that by rejecting this, this case will now be going forward to trial. Yes, I understand. So now this type of argument that's being made by this guy Day um, the court attempts to cut that off at the pass so that if a defendant loses a trial, they can't come back and say, my lawyer never told me. Right. Um, so that cuts that out. Now, Day is also saying, well, I also was never told by Joe DiCaprio at the time of sentencing that I could um, offer an apology. Now, I don't believe that DiCaprio would not have done so. Right. And based upon the comments from the family who showed up to testify at this hearing before um, the judge, that this guy at the time of sentencing swore at the family of the victims, yeah. um, was not apologetic, was confrontational, was, you know, the furthest thing from being apologetic, um, right. was defiant. Yeah. And you know, looked at the family with, you know, uh, hatred and bad yeah. disdain. Yes. So, you know, the family saying, you know, this guy is not looking to apologize to us. No. You know, he's this feeling sorry for himself. I, right. I don't see this case. Um, I don't see um, Judge Darrigan determining that um, this guy did not get a fair trial. I don't think that Judge Darrigan is going to find that Joe DiCaparel did anything improper. Yep. Um, but this this case, this guy is the poster child for why we have fry hearings now, so that this type of thing cannot come up and s try to blame the lawyer, essentially. Yeah. Folks, we're going to leave it there. He is our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. 
Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401 580 1852 based in smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. Remember, weekdays, 11 to 2. But visit the website, dePietro.com. That's the best way to reach me. There's a direct link. Contact John. We also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live, or YouTube, or Twitter, it's all right there at the website topetro.com. And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there. Folks, it all starts by logging on at topetro.com. And on the left-hand side, you can always listen live. Again, all our links, everything begins and ends right there at the website topetro.com. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. AtMed Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At AtMed Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atment urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atment urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 atwood avenue in johnston that's right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich online at admedurgentcare.net it's getting cold already this winter keep your family your employees warm with matthews oil company call them today 401-942-7500 matthews oil company 24-hour emergency service for over four generations they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe trusted oil delivery call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 you can find them online matthewsoil.com matthews oil premier dealer rhode island delivering the highest quality heating fuels at matthews oil 
they take pride providing reliable, affordable service for you and your family. Celebrating 90 years of service. Call them now. It's going to be a cold winter. Get that tank filled. Call Matthews Oil Company today. 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company. 401-942-7500.